Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Fights Out Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash. Um, yeah, we're back. I had to take a skip week last week, but we're back with this week. Going to be a bit of a scattershot one because an awful lot happened. I didn't get to see everything. Um, I'll talk about what I can. The fight I did watch was Josh Warrington versus uh, Kike Martinez, and that was pretty interesting and dirty and, you know, controversy and all of that. So I'll talk about that. Um, there were some other fights on the card that I'm talking about there, so I'll talk about that. I'll talk about a little bit about the other. I'll talk about the headliner in the other in the other in the other British fight on the same day, Riyak Kohei versus Dion Juma. Um, that was uh, that was quite an interesting fight in cruiserweight. Um, so I'll talk about that. Um, there was a fight, another British card on the Friday. Um, that was a pro bellum card that had Ritson, Thomas Patrick Ward, and Troy Williamson on it. Um, I just didn't. I have just haven't had a chance to see those fights yet, so I won't talk about them. Even though all three fighters are interesting, but you know, I just I haven't had a chance to see them. Um, we'll talk a little bit about um, Miguel Berchot versus Jeremiah Nakathila, and um, I'll also talk about um, Lee Selby against Gustavo Lemos Lavos, just because that was too. You know, they they weren't together. They weren't on the same card. I'm just kind of squishing them together because that was two guys in Bechel and Selby who just kind of, it wasn't the only thing that went wrong, but they didn't look, they looked past their age and past their best. And I kind of want to talk about that a little bit, but different reasons, for, differing reasons for that to an extent, but, um, but I want to talk about that. Um, yeah. Anything else happened? No, this week, this week was, like, there was no single major event, but there's so much going on. Oh yeah, Tim Chu had his um, US debut against um, Tara Gaucha, who's a sort of wily vet. She's been at a, you know, he's been at a much higher level than Chu till now. He's lost most of those high level fights, but um, but he's you know he's got experience, and Tim Tim had to overcome some stuff there, so that'll be one to talk about. Um, yeah, it's going to be. I'm not going to go super in depth into any specific fight, although the Warrington fight, because I watched that live and because I'm a fan of Warrington, probably be the most in depth one, which is why I'm leading with it. Um, yeah, let's let's get cracking. Now, Josh Warrington was fighting um, for his featherweight for his featherweight belt. I say that uh, this was this one was a little bit controversial in the making because, uh, as we know, Josh Warrington lost to um, Mauricio Lara last year and then he rematched him and a clash of heads caused that to end in a draw or a no contest and then you know Lara had the the win and I can't remember what happened to the belt there but neither one had the belt and then now they're both um, Warrington ended up getting the fight for the belt before before Lara did even though Warrington should you know he didn't win the rematch there's no why is he ahead of him in the queue? I mean, the reason for that is that well, Josh Warrington brings in ridiculous crowd with him to to fight, so, so that, that that is the reason why. Kiko Martinez, he won the belt uh, very unexpectedly. He was getting he looked old as fuck um, against Kid Galahad, and then he caught uncorked a couple of shots and uh, you know knocked Galahad's spark out, and so he had this um, this featherweight belt. It is the IBF belt that um, Josh Warrington had before. Um, it, it's been on a bit of a journey because Josh, you know, Josh Warrington had it. He beat Kid Galahad. He lost it to Mauricio Lara. I'm not even sure what happened to it after that, except that 
Jazza Dickens fought Kid Galahad for the vacant belt, so Lara must have. Uh, maybe he wasn't. He didn't hit weight. That might have been the reason against Warrington. Uh, Not hundred percent sure on that. Any case, um, yeah. So Galahad won it against Jazza Dickens in a very good performance. Then he lost it to Kike Martinez by getting himself knocked out. And so Kike Martinez, at the age of uh, what is he, thirty-six? He, um, yeah, he's thirty-six. Um, He's won it back, back and, you know, there's an old one coming in because uh, we didn't really know where Warrington was um, and he looked, you know, he looked vulnerable against Lara and we didn't really know where Kike Martinez was because he looked old as fuck against Galahad until he knocked him out. And I think... I can't speak too much on this because I could have done the preview and I didn't. Um, so, I, so I can't really go in on what other people are saying. I think a lot of the preview talk about this fight was um all the predictions about this fight sort of focused on whether Lara whether Warrington would be able to take Martinez's power and kind of overlooked how old Martinez looked against Galahad before that happened and I think they also overlooked that Martinez has a pop on him but he doesn't hit anywhere near as hard as uh, as Lara does he's um he's a much better boxer overall but uh but he doesn't have the sort of one punch power, or even the every punch power, because everything that uh, everything that Lara throws is mean intentions, super super hard. Whereas even the hardest shot that Martinez on corks isn't really as hard as that. Um, so that may have skewed the perceptions and made it a more equal fight. I don't know what the odds were, but the sort of my impression of the, sort of the talk coming in was that it was a fairly even fight and. Uh, I mean, I think I would have come down on Lara on. I think I would have come down on pretty much what happened. Um, I would have expected to be cleaner for Renton, but um, but yeah, uh, I would have expected Warrington to eventually be able to just work his way through an old Martinez because Warrington is a non-stop, non-stop worker, and um, Martinez is he's just old. They fought before; it was pretty equal, but he's just not that guy anymore. And Warrington, uh, despite his loss to Lara, is a better boxer than he was then. But that is the thing about Josh Warrington. He he doesn't get enough credit for how much he changes his game plan between each fight and improves just little bits. It's not like he's not reinventing himself as a boxer, but he there's always a little something new, um, and. You know, I don't think you know. I don't. I don't think people really accounted necessarily for, that. and I wouldn't have accounted for this either. Because one thing I didn't predict, I wouldn't have predicted, I wouldn't have had in my mind was that uh, Lara would have spent much of the contest boxing. Lara, I keep saying Lara. Warrington would have spent much of this contest boxing on the outside, and that's more. I mean, it's, it's not how it started. What's how it started is just Warrington did what he often does. What he did against Brampton is um. Decide to test the limits of what Martinez has got and just attack, 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 attack as hard as you could for the first two rounds. And it was, you know, it was one of those, even the, the commentators were going, you know, uh, Warrington can't keep this up. It's like, I think he would have been able to if he wanted because we've seen Warrington do that before. And maybe not quite as ruthlessly as he did in this one, not quite as consistently high pace, but it was pretty it was a pretty similar game plan to what he did to Carl Frampton. And, you know, he didn't have any problems keeping up the tempo against Frampton. Then he backed off. And there's maybe a few reasons for that. Maybe he was tired. Um 
Maybe he felt the power bomb. We know at some point he broke his hand, and we know at some point he had his jaw broken. So maybe either one of those two things could have backed him off as well and had him being more um, more defensive. And this is where I was surprised, because he did turn into essentially a back foot boxer. Um, you know, it was still high volume, still still a lot going, still throwing a lot, but um, it turned into a more equal fight. Um which I think Warrington was still mostly winning. Like I think you could give reason to have like after the first two rounds to give Martinez a couple, but um but he wasn't you know, Martinez wasn't dominating or anything. Um but yeah, Warrington was doing his thing. Um he's always been a good in and out mover, essentially, is uh, what he did here is um refocus and instead of being sort of move in, punch, move out, it was sort of just he just switched the priorities. He's still moving in and out, but He'd throw a jab, move in, throw a jab, come to shots and move out again. Um, so again, it wasn't, you know, even though it's the opposite of what we think of Josh Warrington doing, it's not a massive turnaround from his basic his basic um, framework. Um, it, was, it was a massive turnaround from the first two rounds because the first two rounds were just relentless, get in, bash, 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 pressure. Um, and people who aren't super familiar with Warrington may think that is what he always does because that's what he did against Frampton, more or less. Um, but it isn't what Warrington came up doing. He came up being in and out, in and out, um, you know, very high volume, very high pressure, but moving, you know, box, throw a combination, get inside, throw a combination, come around, come out. Um, so him turning into this aggressive inside fighter is as much it's basically like I say like I said in the other thing it was a change of priorities and he'd do the, the bit of getting in and then have a different solution and stay there and then but he always has that in and out in his tank so when he decided he needs to box on the outside it was like get in throw one punch get out so all he's doing really is throwing less of the aggressive shots but he's still doing the same movements he's always had in his tank so it's not a complete reinvention of his game, is what I'm trying to get at here. The one big story of the fight that I do have to talk about that uh, that did make a big difference, and the referee probably should have made more of it, is that Warrington was leading with his head a lot, and Martinez was a little bit as well. But it is a it's a consistent theme with Josh Warrington when he does come inside like this, um, he does lead with his head. I don't think he's doing. I mean, as I say, I don't think he's doing it on purpose. But his head was greased up like that, so he knew it was going to happen. Even if it wasn't a deliberate part of his game plan to cause head clashes, he was ready for it. And you know, Martinez, um, he was cut over both eyes. He had a big cut on his forehead, and I think all of them came from head clashes. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. And the referee should have been. The referee should have been more on that. Um, and you know, like I say, I don't know how much difference it would have made to the fight in the long run because. Eventually, Warrington did go on this more outboxing style, where the head clashes weren't happening so much, and he was—I th I think he was still winning that. But it was closer, so it would have made a difference to the fight. Um, to how the fight's going, uh, you know, that's the thing about Warrington. This is something that Warrington has to keep in mind as well, because up until now, every fight he's had, apart from Frampton, he's been the bigger name but if he fights Lee Wood which uh, he will hope is the next fight it's now a bit up in the air because he's in you know he's in hospital with a broken hand and a broken jaw and it's you know Will Wood want to wait for him um, but if he fights Lee Wood they will be bringing almost equal almost equal 
levels of uh, support and backing and Warrington will have to consider that he might not have but even if it wasn't you know even if the referee you know I don't, I'm not subscribing to conspiracy about that the ref was doing on purpose but when you're in a man's home arena and the crowd is popping for your for one guy and not the other the referee is going to you know, make certain decisions, he's going to feel a certain pressure, just, he's human. And Warrington has pretty much already agreed to take the fight to Nottingham, if they fight, if him and Lee would fight. Um, and that was just going to be a whole different thing for Warrington, and we already know that Warrington is, well, I don't say, I won't say we know, but uh, there's a suspicion that Warrington isn't the greatest without his crowd, but he lost to Lara in the in-fight camp, in the empty, in the empty um, arena, well, arena in Eddie Hearn's garden, um, I think it would be giving not enough credit to Lara to say that just happened because Josh Warrington wasn't fired enough, or fired up enough because the crowd wasn't there. I think that just that mostly happened because uh, Lara hit stuck a truck, and for all, for all that I do think Warrington is a, uh, you know, underratedly technical. He's never going to be unhittable. And he's never going to be a super, you know, for all that, again, he, he doesn't get enough credit for how much he hurts guys, but he isn't a one-punch knockout artist or even a one-punch super deterrent. And uh, and so Lara is always going to be hard for him because he's never going to be slick enough to avoid all of Lara's shots. Um, I, think that, I think part of what was happening here was him clearly practicing boxing on the outside so that he could avoid... You know, if he ever really matches Lara, he will want to be—he will be wanting to be way, way more on the outside than he normally is. And I think that's—I think he was practicing that a bit as well. In any case, um, yeah. So that you had the middle—you had the first two rounds where Warrington was coming hard. Yeah, um, Kiko Martinez's game plan was always the same. Kiko's game plan was always uh, pretty much cover up. He, he did what he could at the eight that he is. Um, you know, like I said, I think people. People forgetting how old he looked against Callahan, and I think he looked more ready to be old. He didn't look any younger. There were still moments where he looked completely overwhelmed. Like in the first two rounds, he could have gone a couple of times. Um, I'm surprised that he stayed up, but he looked more prepared for what he hasn't got, and he was pretty much just saving himself. Big, you know, finding those openings, finding that big shot, and he landed them. You know, he he hurt Warrington. There was one time when he when Warrington looked really hurt, but you know, he broke his jaw. And there were a couple of other, you know, he he was catching Warrington, so so he was in it. I don't think, you know, I don't think he was ever likely to win because I don't think he was ever going to hit him hard enough to knock him out. Um, because that is another, you know, Warrington. He's very hittable, but you have to hit. He doesn't leave himself vulnerable to being off balance, so you really have to be blasting him like Lara was to knock him out and I don't think um, I don't think Martinez hits that hard essentially like I don't think that was ever really on the table like, he might have worked that broken jaw a bit more and uh, taken him out that way but, um, but yeah he was always in it and then in the was it the 6th round I should have this in my head I should have this in front of me um, yeah well, it stopped in the 7th I think in the at the end of the 6th round Warrington sort of felt and fade a bit and uh, started pushing and then in the 7th round he really started back onto what was he was doing in the first two rounds Um then Martinez clipped him pretty hard, and that may have been, you know, it was it was like one big shot, Warrington was hurt, and I think this sums up why Martinez never really had a chance, because he should have followed up on that. Like, Warrington was 
clearly wobble. Like he recovered very quickly because Warrington does that mostly. Um, I mean, even against Lara, he lasted a pretty long time getting the shit beat out of him. He's got a good chin and a good recovery on him, but he was pretty clearly wobbled. And Martinez just didn't jump on him. And then Warrington jumped on him, and that was when, you know, it was pretty much seconds before the fight ended. Um, the, Lara's, um, Warrington's response to getting hurt was to swarm Martinez even more. And Martinez just curled up and didn't respond for 15, 20 seconds. Like, he didn't throw a punch back. And so people were talking about the, the stoppage was premature. And you could argue that. Like, he wasn't out on his feet. He wasn't gone. Um, but he also wasn't, he just wasn't fighting back. And when you do that for that long, you're just asking the ref to step in. Um, and it was maybe, you know, it was maybe a little bit one of those. Um, and this was happening, you know, he was almost lucky in the first two rounds. I wouldn't say he was lucky in the first two rounds um, because he was clearly more, less weary then. But he, there was an element in his game plan from the start of waiting for Rowan to stop punching before he punched back. And if, you know, if Warrington senses that from you, he will just keep going. Like I say, his tendency is to be in and out, but um, but he'll happy unleash the flow. He's a bit like Joe Calzaghe. This is, you know, there were shades of uh, Calzaghe versus Manfredo in the stoppage, where, you know, Calzaghe, uh, there was a much bigger gulf in class there, and there was, you know, Manfredo had no shot whatsoever. But the stoppage was that Manfredo wasn't hurt, but he said after the fight that his plan had been to wait for Calzaghe to stop punching and then counter. And I was like... Well, you, you know, who, who who prepared you for this? Who told you that Joe Kazagi was going to stop punching? And there was some element of this here, I think. Um, Warrington, um, I think Martinez, in this final flurry, was expecting Warrington to stop punching, and he just didn't. And so he was showed up, showed up, showed up, until the ref stopped it. But I don't think he can argue too much, because, you know, there's got to be a while. I know when you're in the ring and these punches are coming at you, you don't necessarily know how long you've been doing it for. But if you don't answer back for that long, the referee's going to... The referee's going to question it. Mm. He, he could have given him more of a chance, but I don't think it was a super terrible stoppage or anything. Um, but yeah, it was a it was an interesting. It's a, it's a fun fight to watch. It's scrappy and dirty, and you know, Warrington's Warrington's not a clean fighter. Like, people get really annoyed by this, and I, I get it, um, especially the head clashes. Like I say, he's not headbutting you. He's not. Um, yeah, I don't think he's doing it on purpose, but he's clearly ready for it. Like he's clearly aware what his head is going to be, you know, doing. Like um, he's pre- prepared for it. Um, so I get the anger, but you know, boxing always has this lion riding thing, and Warrington, he's he's good at that. Um, it's going to help hold him in good stead. Um, you know, he is currently better at that sort of thing than Lee Wood. So if they fight, that will um, that will come into it. Um, but yeah, who really, you know, I want to talk about what he's going to do next, but he has to recover from breaking breaking his hand and his jaw. So, and this is an incredibly volatile division, so really anything could happen. For all I know, he's going to be fighting Isaac Fogbo, you know. Um, anyway, other things on the card, because this was a busy card and I enjoyed it. Maxi Hughes versus Ryan Walsh. Um, yeah, I want to talk about Maxi Hughes because um, cause he is a success story of making the most of what you've got, making the most of the attributes you've got was just a really, I'm going to sound like Joe Rogan, a really highly technical game, not really technical. Um, Yeah, basically the story with Matthew Hughes is he's always been a sort of British level fighter and he still is a British level fighter, but um, he's lost a few times. He's lost to um, 
he's a lightweight, um, just to you know clear that up. He's lost to Liam Walsh in the past, who he was um he's lost to Sam Bowen, he lost to Martin Ward. He you know, there's a lot of these um sort of British level guys who sort of move on to world level and he's lost to all of them. Um uh, you know, he lost to Scott Scott Cardle back in the day. You know, Scott Cardle was a British champion for a long time. Um this was way this was nine years ago, so this was before either of them was at British level. But um but yeah, he was always losing to these kind of upper level British names. And then he sort of he's gone on a streak recently. Um this was his sixth win in a row. Um where he's uh he started beating these names, he's beat John O'Carroll John O'Carroll. He um he beat Paul Highland Jr. and now he's beating Ryan Borsch. Um I think I don't know exactly when he changed trainer, but he now trains with Josh. He trains with Josh Warrington, basically. He trains under Warrington's dad, I believe. Um, although I'm not actually 100% sure that Warrington trains with his own dad at the moment. Um, I think so. He must have done. They were, they, they were photographing him like that. I'll get a bit confused by the names. But anyway, the point is, um, he's well coached at the moment. And he's also very intelligent in his own right. Um... And yeah, he basically does everything he can to minimise his lack of real athletic quality. He always helps out in this case because Ron Walsh is slower than him, especially when, you know, but even then, I don't think he's physically that much slower than him. But Maxi Hughes' footwork is constant, constantly moving, his upper body movement constant, and Ryan Walsh just couldn't find his way close enough to do anything. Um... And this is, you know, I started getting very annoyed at the commentators um, because they kept going on and on about uh, Ryan Walsh needs to do something, Ryan Walsh needs to change things up, Ryan Walsh needs new ideas. And Ryan Walsh was doing everything he could with the tools he had. Ryan Walsh is a bread and butter, bread and butter fighter, um, which I don't mean as an insult. It does mean there's a limit on how hard he's going to go. Um, he's also this sort of British level fighter, um, you know, lost to Jazza Dickens, lost to De- Dennis Salem. He's uh, drawn a few. Um, he's you know he's the same sort of he's uh, a level that Maxi Hughes was bouncing about at a few years ago, and Maxi Hughes has clearly elevated himself above there at the you know at the uh, at the age of uh, thirty-two. Um, right, Walsh is thirty-five, which also would have factored in. He's he's clearly slowing down a bit now. Um, but yeah, Walsh is the kind of you know come forward, throw a jab, get yourself set, throw some. Put some talk into your punches, you know. The, he's got a few hooks, a few straights. He's he's got he's got the good. He's got you know a well-rounded attacking arsenal, but he just doesn't have the setups, the feints, all of that stuff in the depth necessary to come to Matthew Hughes, who has does have all of that. Um, and you know, even even if we will try things, you know. Hughes was ready for it and moving out of the way. He just he's got very good eyes, um, to borrow a phrase. Uh, you know, Hughes is very aware of what's coming at him. And you know, where Ron Walsh was he was trying different things. He was you know, he was hooking off the jab or he was just at some points he would try to put in without a jab to, you know, basically if you're not winning the jab battle, if you're losing the jab battle that badly, then all that's really happening is your jab is warning your opponent that something's happening, something's going to happen. So sometimes coming in 
without a jab, it, in normal cases, is bad practice. But if your jab isn't setting anything up, and then you remove that warning signal and just do things without a jab. And he tried that. Um, you know, he tried all sorts of things. He tried different combinations of the punches he was throwing. It just wasn't. He just wasn't fast enough or subtle enough to get to Maxi Hughes, who's um, he's got the twitchy style that you see quite a lot um, from British fighters nowadays. This, you know, you can associate it with Adam Booth or um, Tyson Fury. He is, like I say, he isn't associate. He isn't with either of those guys, but um, he isn't coached by either of those guys. But he's a. Uh, but he's he's adopted that same sort of twitchy, very twitchy lead foot, um, counter punchy style, and it's just just really working for him. He's just really settled into a groove of what's best for him. And whether he's ever going to be truly world level, you know, it's hard, it impossible to say. Um, I say impossible to say. I don't think he's ever going to be truly world level. Um, he probably is the best British. He's probably is the best British fighter at this weight because. Um, you know, the other one was Lee Selby and he just got smashed and everyone else is just kind of old, really. Um, yeah, there isn't, uh, this is a lightweight and there isn't really a huge British influx. Adam Azim is in this division. Um, Sorry, going past my window. Yeah, Adam Azim is in this division now. I think he's going to overtake Maxi Hughes quite quickly, if I'm brutally honest. But, um, but other than that, there isn't an awful lot of uh, competition at British level. But Sam Lopes is coming up as well. Um, Maybe Azima notes will fight. I don't know how the promotion looks in that. I'm not going to go super into it now. Um, but yeah, at, a, at British level, it's a very shallow division. At world level, it's an incredible division. And um, so Maxi Hughes is sort of stuck in this midpoint because he isn't going to beat Devin Haney. He isn't going to beat Lomachenko. He isn't going to beat um, Cambosos. I don't really care about Javante Davis, but I don't think he's going to beat him either, even though in many ways he's got a deeper... He's got a deeper game than um, Javonta in many ways, but he doesn't have that high-level tool set, I think, and he doesn't have the athleticism to really handle Davies. But, um, you know, I'd love it if Maxi Hughes beat him. I'd love it. Um, yeah, basically. So he's stuck in this sort of midpoint. Who knows, maybe they can get Lemos over. Um, Gustavo Lemos, who just beat Lee Selby, who I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, that would be a risk. It would be a risk, but I think from what I, you know, from from that fight, it would be potentially one where he would think he can show this guy what's what, because um, because no mess. Okay, I'll talk about this fight now because I'm not going to go into super into depth into this. Um, but yeah, Lee Selby fought Lemos and he got overwhelmed basically, and he looked every inch of his 35 years. He also just didn't. He's never been a really powerful fighter, and Lemos just kind of walked through and smashed him up. It's quite an odd one, actually, because in the first round, he came out with this really ridiculous shoulder, you know, low lead hand, shell stance, and he's just very good at that. Um, it was not It was rubbish. And Lee Selby probably won the first round, and then Lemos decided, okay, I don't know if he, if he decided it wasn't working or if he decided, okay, it doesn't, I don't need to try my defensive stance which was actually less defensive than his aggressive stance because he's so bad at it but look I don't need this because I can take his power and then he tucked up behind his high card and uh, this I liked from him because he had a bit of head movement behind it you know a lot of fighters march in behind their high guard and they don't move their heads at all and I like this from Lemos that um this is the first time I've ever seen him um, I, I did like this from Lemos that um he came in behind a high guard but with head movement slipping still came in with a, behind a jab and the jab was always coming back 
you know, it's all very responsible despite being insanely aggressive. Um, he's also quite fast and his footwork's good, but it's not very subtle. And he was just winging big shots. His, his body work was nice. That's what I did like. He'd come in upstairs with a jab, um, tuck up, and then straight away drop his hand to whack Selby in the ribs. You know, it was nice. It was essentially just a faster, slicker, better version of what um, of what um, Maxi Hughes has just seen against um, Walsh. And, you know, Limos at this point is way ahead of Walsh. So, um, so there's no guarantee that Maxi Hughes could handle the speed here, the power here. But he may... If that fight is potentially on the table, he may fancy his chances, is what I'm saying there. Anyway, yeah, um, just to you know, round up the, my thoughts on that uh, that fight since I made the aside to it. Yeah, it was basically just a question of Selby being overwhelmed. He couldn't keep him a distance. His uh, movement, you know, he's, he's always been sort of a slick fighter. He's not that slick, so his movement wasn't good enough to keep Lemos, who is surprisingly, like I say, he's fast and solid and you know technically correct. Um, he wasn't enough to keep him at bay. Um, and, you know, in the fourth round, he got knocked down. In the fifth round, he got knocked down twice. And after the second one, the referee went off. It was just a case of, um, yeah, his, uh, some of those fighters where once your movement fails you, he doesn't have, he didn't have the overall, you know, tricky defense to deal with that. And Lemos does have just enough tricks in his attack to really overwhelm him. It was, it was good. It was, it was a good performance. Um, I, I'll be. I, I'm, I'd never heard of Lemos before. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't even know this fight was happening until one of my followers messaged me on Twitter asking if it's still happening, and I was like, um, I mean, I played it cool. I was like, yeah. Um, uh, as far as I know, yes, but um, I don't even know where you can watch it. So, um, so I don't know. But yeah, basically, I had no idea what was happening until until that fellow messaged me. Um, but Lemos will be a good, a good one too. He'll be a good one to follow. Whether he turns out, you know, he may be Julio Cesar Martinez. He may be better than Martinez. There are things in there that I liked more than what I like. Def- basically, defensively, he's similar to Martinez in attacking sense, but he defends while he's doing it. So he may be better than Martinez. Whether he's quite as explosive and fast as Martinez, I don't know. But um, but I liked him. Anyway, yeah. The point is, him versus Maxi Hughes would be a fight I'd like to see. And completely speculating whether that's ever going to be on the table um, alright back to that card there was one other thing I want to talk about on that card and that was um, that was my one of my favourite prospects from Britain is um, Dalton Smith who's trained by his dad he's also a trainer for Sonny Edwards um, so he's got a good gym going on there um, and yeah Dalton Smith is a completely different fighter to Sonny Edwards if anyone doesn't like Edwards style don't worry, Dalton Smith is in some ways almost the opposite of that. They're both very movement-focused, but Dalton Smith is um, aggressive. He's not a full-on pressure fighter, but he's aggressive. He's got a lot of power. He's very slick, um, but in the, you know, he clearly imitates Lomachenko to some extent. He's not a full-on, you know, he likes his combinations, but he's not a full-on combo, combo, combo puncher. He's more focused on the power. Um, obviously, he's not Lomachenko's level anywhere near. Um but anyway, this fight he was fighting Ray Moylet, um, who's an Irish fighter, um, 31 years old now. He had a good amateur career. His pro career sort of hasn't ever really got off the ground. But, um, you know, you could see when they came to the ring. He came correct. He He's not a, 
by any means a mug. He wasn't there for Dalton Smith to mug, over, mug off. It was a good test. And, you know, Dalton uh, Smith, he did. He had to work for it. He was clearly the better fighter from the go. He had much better movement. Um, and this was another case a little bit where Moilet, he had all the, he has the technical tools. Um, he wasn't fast enough. And again, he didn't have the feints and the depth of his attack to nail Smith down. Um, Smith is much less defensive fighter than Maxi Hughes. So, um, so he did get some things home, but he was never really, you know, he was never really winning. Um, the thing that did, that I, you know, I'm not going to get super into depth. I'll get more into depth in Dalton Smith as he moves up the levels. Um, but the one thing I did like that did tell us a lot about Dalton Smith is that um, he got warned a couple of times for low blows. He caught, um, there were two big ones that he caught him with. And on the second one, um, he caught Moilet with, a, you know, it was a bit unlucky because he, he did drop his hand low and... Um, he caught him right in the balls. Moilet just happened to be jumping, but sort of springing up, not fully jumping, but sort of springing up. He was at his full height and possibly in his tiptoes. So it was, you know, the worst combination. And he just got caught flush in the bollocks. Um, and because he'd already been warned, Orton Smith got docked two points for that and told, if you do that again, you're disqualified. He did catch him once more later on and didn't get disqualified. But after that, it was like, you can't work that shot anymore. And I was very impressed by, um, by his dad's corner work because he said, you know, Smith, this is it's a thing I always enjoy a fighter and a coach sort of conversing in the corner. Like I like that from a fighter. And Smith was straight away, you know, I can't work the body anymore. And Sad was like, you know, yeah, but um, but if you do work the body, you're dropping your lead hand too low. Throw it to the chest, and then there's no chance to, no chance of you hitting his bollocks by accident. But throw it higher, and um. What was impressive was that basically after that, Dawson Smith had had half his arsenal taken away. Like um, his game plan is very much work upstairs, work downstairs, work upstairs, work downstairs. And he had to abandon that. And it's a very hard thing to do to, you know, change, to have, firstly to have half your moveset, you know, not half, but a solid proportion of your moveset taken away. To adjust to that is difficult. To not throw, you know, because a big part of boxing, Big part of big part of training is a uh, drilling so that your responses are instinctual, so that you're not leaving a gap between you know, basically so that you, the quickest possible time of action. Um, you know, most combinations are at some level instinctual, not completely. The best fighters have a little bit, and this is why this fight made me think that Smith is going to. He really does have a very high ceiling because he was able to cut out that from his game. Like he basically, after that second, that, that very final warning, he didn't throw another one. Um, you know, he was still thrown to the body, but there were the height shots, and that was the point. Um, he wasn't instinctually going to that well over and over and over and over and over again after he was final, you know, final warning. And he still managed to adjust his game plan, switch around. He wasn't hampered by it at all. He ended up knocking out, um, knocking Moila out with, um, with some lovely work, basically to the head. They were both left hands. Um, the first one was a sort of check hook counter. Um, you know, Moynet pulled forward a bit. Smith stepped round, checked him, knocked him down. Um, yeah, Moynet never really recovered from that. Um, and after that, he was sort of... He was doing... You know, he looked... He wasn't devastated by it, but um, but he wasn't okay. This was the final round, um, the start of the final round, 10th. Um, he wasn't devastated by it, but then... Um, he did catch Dalton Smith or something, but Smith caught him straight away with a flush hard counter. Um, 
and basically his corner decided, okay, you know, you've fallen down off that. It was a good shot, but it wasn't necessarily a knockdown shot for a fully aware man. And you've just been knocked down for the second time in a few seconds. And his corner decided, you know, that's enough. And Moidot was very upset because he wasn't gone. He could have carried on, but it was a right call. Um, but yeah, basically, if you haven't watched Orman Smith, watch Dorton Smith, watch this fight. It's a good one. You know, it's not a back and forth war because Smith was too far ahead of her. Um, Moidet, but it's um, even that is a good sign. Um, you know, I think um, Smith, he's in the um, 140 pound division, so it's a shark tank. So, um, you know, you're not going to be seeing fighting for titles tomorrow. Um, but he will be an interesting addition at the top of it, um, or at least at the top of the British level. Now, let me just have a quick look who is, uh, if he decides, because I would like to see him fighting for the British title this year. Like, he's clearly. But, you know, Moidet was a good enough fighter that, uh, you know, you've got uh, Lewis Ritson, Tyro McKenna, Sam Maxwell, all of these guys, um, Akeem Ennis Brown. I, I would give Dalton Smith a good chance of beating all of these guys, or Harold Davies. You know, Jack Cattrall, a bit above that now, but um, but I think Smith's ceiling is probably higher than Cattrall's. Uh, he's not that much younger, I don't think. Oh, well, yeah, he's not that much younger. Cattrall's only 28. Uh, I thought he was older than that. Um, Dalton Smith is 25. So, so not that big a difference between them. So, you know, he's not that young, so he does need to get a move on. Um, but yeah, I want to see him fight for British titles this year. I don't even know who owns a British title at the moment. Um, which I should know. Um, but yeah, um, basically, that's what I want to see Dalton Smith doing. Just move up the ranks. Um, British title this year. I mean, like this, this is how long, how busy this weekend was. I've been here for nearly 40 minutes and I haven't even covered half. Like I say, I'm not going to go super in-depth um, on the next lot, but I am going to sort of sweep through them and uh, and see see what's there to be said. First thing I have to do is apologise for my embarrassing mispronunciation that I just realised of both of the names um, between Tim... I'm always going to struggle with his name. I shouldn't. I've heard it so many times. But Tim, Tim Su, um, let's go for that. Um, I'm always going to struggle with that just because you know my Polish head is always going to want to pronounce the S Z the same way that you pronounce my name. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, let's go for Tim Su against uh, Terol Gachet, uh, which you know I really should have checked that one out before I tried to say his name. Um, I apologise for that. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about that a bit because this was um, Sue's US debut, and he's bringing a bit of hype with him. And part of that hype is because of his dad, um, Costa. But part of that hype is because he just generally looks quite good. Um, he's fighting at 154 pounds, so he's a light middleweight, super welterweight, whatever you want to call that division. Which is, you know, it's a very good division for upcoming fighters. So he's going to have a lot of. Um, competition as he moves up the ranks uh, and yeah um, you know there's been some questions about him you know how much of it is for real how much for it, of it is hype um, and we kind of got answers in both directions because he came out in this one like I said at the top um, Gachet is uh, a, the most experienced fighter he's faced by a lot um, you know Gachet's been in with world level fighters a few times Shoot, just hasn't been in with that level at all. Um, so yeah, it wasn't perhaps it wasn't too surprising that he got himself caught a little bit cold um, in the first round. He was hunting, you know, he was doing what he needed to be doing, coming in behind a jab. He's, he's not a 
particularly complicated fighter. Um, you know, I've talked about already talked about these on the broadcast already. He comes in behind his jab, high guard, tries to you know set up the shots. This is where he perhaps differs from your um, from the likes of Lemos to be Selby um, in that. Uh, I would say that he is more invested in setting up the shots, the big shots that he's aiming for, but he is kind of coming in to throw big shots, work body head. He is a pressure fighter. Um, I would say where he is a bit more basic is, um, I, I mean, I was more impressed with Lemos defense, um, especially early on here, where he, you know, he's just kind of not concentrating and uh, he's walking this guy down, he's walking Cachet down and he just got the timing wrong, or Cachet got the timing right. Um, he got himself with, caught with his guard was a little bit open, and Cachet just threw a right hand counter straight down the pipe just as uh, Chu was walking in. And yeah, he just knocked it. He knocked him on his ass. It was hurt. It wasn't a, you know, he wasn't completely staggered, wob wobbling, but it was a full on hard knockdown. Not really just a flash knockdown, because he was, I think this is a thing, he wasn't off balance. Um, so he took a hard shot and was just generally taken off his feet by it. Um, I think, I mean, that's possibly a positive to take, that uh, even though he wasn't really, his feet were square, you know, well, weren't square under him, he was, um, his balance was good, he took the shot. That's possibly a positive to take out of it. It's always a thing to look out for in young fighters. You know, what are their feet like when things go wrong? Did their feet go wrong? Did things go wrong because of their feet? Or... Um, or did their feet help save them, if you follow me? Because quite often, you know, a knockdown happens because your feet were wrong. And that, that's not what happened here. He made a mistake with his timing, but he wasn't... It didn't happen because he was trying to rush, because he overreached, because he was leaning into something. He walked onto it, and that made it harder. Um, but he still took the shot well. And that shows you the importance of being well-balanced, basically at all times, um, I think. Um, anyway, so he took that shot. This was right at the end of the first round. Well, no, it was with a minute left in the first round. Um, so he took that shot. He recovered. He got through to the end of the round. I think it's possible Gachet lost his head a bit because um, rather than sort of concertedly pressure and try to poke holes and see how uh, in a daze he was, he just kept going back to this well of this big loop. No, it wasn't even looping. It was, it was nicely delivered right hand, but it was a long reaching right hand that he just kept trying to throw for the rest of the round and he caught Chu with it like three or four times but it didn't have any ex additional effect because it was just coming from too long away and he was taking it and um, yeah I think that, get that again goes back to the balance it's much easier to take shots um, tight card shots when your feet are right so uh, so I, you know I'll give watching this fight with an eye of how good will he be in future that is a positive to take um I think possibly negative is it's just he's not very fast um, and that was one of the reasons he got caught cold here like um, you know timing beats speed but if your speed beats the other guys then you don't need to be as set on the timing like if you're slower than the other guy your timing needs to be completely on point and um, yeah I think uh, two just lacked a little bit of speed. you know he's not slow slow but there are going to be guys in this division who are going to be you know, he's going to be outsped, I think, fairly often um, once he gets into that shark tank level of all the, you know, you've got the world level guys and then you've got the um, the upcomers.
I said I put it differently. You've got the established guys and the upcomers because the, the world level isn't. It's quite sh- you know the 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 fully top level is quite shallow. It's really just Jim Charlo and Brian Castano, um, and I don't think um, to well, I don't think he beats Castano. Um, I'm still sort of mm, on Charlo, but I think he's Charlo is a fast enough and a big enough puncher. You know, he, I'm not sure if Chu's ready for that level, but he might as well give it a go. Um, but then after that, you've got your you know you've got your Madrimov, your Fundora. You've got um, Abbas Baral, even though you know I don't even know what he's doing. Let's have a quick look. Um, yeah, no, he's been sort of recovering from his loss to Jack Kalke, which he should never have lost. Um, we've got a few fighters. Um, now, Troy Williamson won the other night. Um, he's not that young, but he's upcoming. Um, yeah, you've got your Hamza Shiraz. It's a it's a very busy division at the sort of upcoming fighter level. And um, I think a few of those will have a speed advantage, so he's going to have to come correct. It's true, and I think the rest of the fight kind of uh, <clears throat> it showed what you know he does have that correctness in him. Um, yeah, like I say, he's not he's not a you know you're not going to watch him and be amazed at the things that he's doing. He's a nice basic. He's a you know a fairly a standard boxer, but. Uh, He's textbook, but he does that in good ways as well. Like, you know, I already talked about how because his feet were right under him, he didn't take, you know, as much. He didn't get hurt the way he did, even though the shot landed clean, and he saw that here. But even, um, yeah, his, um, his attacks are, you know, they're not complex, but he varies up the timing. He varies up what he's doing. Um, He'll throw with different speeds. Like, his, like I say, his biggest speed isn't very fast, but um, it makes it easier to get home when, uh, or when you're, you know, he throws a couple of softballs and then he comes in with a fast one. He he comes and sets that up. It's not everything's a fastball, um, and he sets up the different levels. And again, his footwork. It's not just you know I talk about his balance a lot, but his footwork's nice. Um, he was closing Gachet down. He was pushing Gachet back, closing him down. He wasn't letting him, you know, Gachet sort of on the back foot, um, trying to. He he's not an, sort of. He wasn't out and out um, trying to box on the outside, but he was sort of on the back foot, letting Chu come forward and uh, trying to set up the counters. But he didn't want to be on the ropes, and he ended up on the ropes quite often because Chu. He's a decent run closer. Like there are things he's going to have to learn. Um, you know, there there are better fighters are going to be able to pivot out better, and he's going to have to be sort of stepping stepping across better than he did here, but I think that he's got that in him. Like, it looks like he's got that in him. Um, yeah, he's got a very good set of uh, set in body work. Um, and generally, I don't have a lot of concerns about his attack. I think, like I say, he will face faster guys. Um, but he's good at closing. He's good at crunching the space, to my eye. And he's good at, you know, just all the, all the setting up stuff. He's... Uh, classic style fighter sort of you know I used the phrase bread and butter earlier he's that kind of fighter but he uses he does it well um, he does all the little details that uh, say Liam Walsh is missing um, he does them he does that well um, where the def- where the concern will be is that uh, throughout the fight um, he is relying on a high guard and his high guard isn't very good um, it's very open like um 
yeah, he's it's just Gachet was splitting it down the middle all the time, constantly. Like his elbows are apart, his his hands, you know, it's a, he's looking through it and he's not moving his head either. Like that was, you know, I'm comparing him a little bit to um, to Lemos just because I haven't I've seen them in close proximity just before I did this. Um, they're not that similar, but you can draw, you know, parallels. Um, they're both come forward fighters who work body head, etc. Um, <clears throat> where where Lemos is definitely better than Chu is his defence coming forward because um, firstly his guard is better and secondly he's got head movement and Chu doesn't really have any like he's he looks thanks for head placement like he's trying not to be on the centre line all the time but uh, but he's not moving you know he's not sort of proactively moving his head to to make sure he isn't uh, stay, you know once he's in a place he's in a place and once a fighter adjusts he can catch him like Gachet was doing that um, you know you know, even if he wasn't fully on the centre line, once Cachet sort of figured out where he was, he could catch him, and he did several times. And that's one that's going to be. Yeah, he has to fix that because there are going to be opponents that he has that are just going to be able to jab the shit out of him. Um, you know, if he keeps fighting like that. Um, like there was a guy I mentioned, Abbas Barrao. He's German. Um, he lost a fight to Jack Kalke a couple of years ago, which, like I say, like in my opinion, that was a bit of a robbery. Anyway, the point is. Um, yeah, he's been doing the recovery tour since then. But he's a good fighter. He's a little older. He's 27, um, which I think makes him the same age. Yeah, and there's a lot of fighters in this division that are around that 26, 27, 28 years, you know, um, set. And basically, uh, yeah, the point I'm making here is um, Barral has some of the same issues with the guard um, that uh, Chu does in terms of being splittable, but he's just faster. So if it becomes a battle of who can glance a shot through the middle of that guard first, Chu's going to be at a disadvantage, I think, you know, in that kind of fight. Or if he's faster than Sebastian Fundora, who uh, may or may not be faster than him, but is, um, you know, he's about six feet longer. It's a, it's a ridiculous distance. And when you're trying to make up that kind of, you know, basically it's a thing he has to fix because it's too e he's too easy to find through the middle of his guard and he's not fast enough. But for all the correctness that he comes with, he's not fast enough, I think, to carry that to a world level without fixing it. But in any case, you know, in this fight, it didn't turn out to be, you know, it got him knocked down early on, but it didn't turn out to be a game breaker. But this went 12, and basically as the fight went on, sort of, Chu's just kind of seemed to wear more and more, you know, he kept dominating more and more, pushing forward more and more. Um, so the later rounds became more of a, sort of close in um not clinch fest because they weren't clinching it was sort of pocket work but sort of head forehead to forehead um which i think i think that demonstrates that's where chu wants to be the most and he's good there and that is where i will say um because i talked about his head movement not being great at mid-range at close range he's he's good at offsetting his head so that he's not you know he's going shoulder to shoulder just to chest but he's good at taking his head off the line so that, or at least he was here. Um, firstly, there's not, so the, the heads weren't that in danger of clashing, but it's hard, it was hard for Cachet to catch him at all, really. Um, and the second thing is, um, and this is where that balance I talked about comes into it, um, he became much better as the fight went on. Um, instead of relying on that high guard, um, and this is a again a trickier perspective for someone who's not that fast but um tr playing tricks with distance and um, just sliding back or just leaning back really um, not even leaning shifting back um 
and making a shape for sure or a shot that would have caught flash just sort of glanced um this is you know this is this is the thing that golovkin always does really well and um, like this golovkin's uh the basis of golovkin's whole game um and i don't know you know i can't say that Chu's going to be that kind of level of fighter but um i think it's a worthwhile comparison because he's clearly trying to be that kind of fighter like i wouldn't be surprised watching him fight if golovkin was a dis direct inspiration obviously it's not necessarily the case i mean he has his dad and you know golovkin is not the first ever pressure fighter to be good at this sort of balance and stuff but um yeah he has that kind of thing where even if he takes a shot he can move with it and he's good at sort of rocking back and uh just taking the sting off it and all of that kind of thing that's going to stand him in a good stead um so yeah it was a good performance yeah and it, you know eventually it went it went 12 rounds he went to the cards he won dominantly i'm not going to tell you what i scored it because i didn't because you know busy weekend i didn't watch the whole fight all the way through because if i did that for every fight i would uh, have had no weekend and um but yeah it was a good performance um ultimately you know it showed up some holes it showed up some good sides um hope to see him back again i don't really know what the future plan is for him because like i say this division is in sort of shallow at the top and with this huge bunch of rising <clears throat> fighters all ages you know you know hamza shiraz you know, i mean erickson lubin's been around for a bit but he's the same age like, there's just so many fighters you know it's around madrimov um there's so many upcoming fighters and uh yeah it's going to be a churn of or title challenges and all that kind of thing um you know i don't think like i said i don't think she's ready for a challenge at the undisputed because um charlo and castano are rematching for the undisputed thing i don't know if she's ready for that but at the same time there aren't that many people between him and that challenge so you know maybe why not i don't think either castano or especially charlo are that good but uh you know probably a bit too good for him now but what's he going to do in the meantime like is he just going to fight guys like this who you know he will learn things from but uh they aren't going to challenge him or is he going to fight the upcoming fighters where they're competing for stardom and i'd love to see that that would be great if some of this field of challenges for each other but you know boxing being boxing it's happened a bit more recently to be fair um but i don't know if that's what's going to happen anyway yeah tim chu um people have been skeptical of him because of his dad um i think it's worth staying a little bit like questioning how good he really is but he can fight um he can definitely fight and he's worth you know following through to the top of you know he's he's nearly at the top of the division already um yeah one thing i will say is that i don't think uh, middleweight would be a good idea for him i don't know how hard the cut is or anything but he doesn't look like he'd um he's a, he relies a little bit on physicality and a little bit of power like he wasn't smashing cachet with power here or anything but um but i don't know that he'd be able to carry his style the style that he's got right now up to middleweight but then again middleweight is a uh, dry and has no real upcoming prospects so he might anyway yeah that's really all for me to say on that so let's move on to miguel bushel versus jeremiah nakathila um and this one was, I want to say sad. I wasn't that invested in Bishop, um, so I, you know, I can't say I was uh, sad about it. But it's always a little bit uh, unfortunate to see a fighter look that shot, um, especially when he's thirty. And it does make me worry, and especially with you know, I'm sitting here, uh, 
small private bit of private information. Um, I had COVID a couple of months ago and I still haven't fully recovered. Um, I, I still, I don't feel great constantly. Um, that's why I had the skip week last week. Anyway, the point being is that I understand, you know, I, I get that it's not necessarily uh, an easy thing to get over. And um, Bichelle had it before the Valdez fight. Um, and he, you know, apparently he had it quite heavy and um, took a while to recover. And quite honestly, I don't know if he fully has because um, it's hard to say for sure what's gone wrong because this was a fight. This was at one three five. The every you know previously he'd always fought at one thirty, apart from one sort of a let's call it a take a look fight against um, what was his name? I had this up a second ago. Yeah, he fought Eli Eliza Carrillo um, back in twenty twenty. Then he was off for a while. Um, he fought Oscar Valdez at the beginning of last year, so he's been out for a year again. Um, and yeah, in that fight he got uh, he got battered basically. Um, I'm not going to talk about what happened because I can't, you know, I watched the fight. I know he he was down. I'm looking at Boxwick too. He was down at four, nine, and ten. But yeah, he was down a lot. Um, he lasted ten rounds, but he was down a lot. Um, and yeah, um, there was some talk that he was struggling with the weight. Um, and so he moved up for this one. And, uh, you know, Nakathili's people and other people have been talking about how. I mean, I can't. I, I don't want to attribute it because I can't remember who said it. But people were talking about how he was a. Uh, a weight bully and that he's going to get found out and so that might have been what happened too that uh, he just wasn't that good and when he came up in weight um, to 135 to lightweight he just got a little bit found out um, and the holes in his game that he's always had maybe uh, maybe got shown up a bit in um, any case and Akathila you, you may remember him from he fought um, Shakur Stevenson and there were some rumblings that Stevenson didn't look that impressive in that fight but I think it's fair to say you know we've seen a bit more of him now and Akathila is genuine, genuinely good um, so Stevenson not looking that comfortable in that fight was not necessarily a, a bad thing and Stevenson looking tentative may look wiser now that we've seen Akathila here um, yeah it was a very much a counterpunching performance Nakathila is one to watch um, he's a sort of aggressive Counterpuncher. He would lay the pressure on you. He was laying the pressure on Bichelle here anyway. Um, then waiting for him to throw and countering him. That was a, it's a you know, a neat thing. And basically Bichelle just didn't look to have, he didn't have the speed. Um, but you know, Nakadilla's not slow, so that was a, so that he didn't have the speed. He didn't have the power to hold, uh, to hold Nakadilla off. And he didn't have, the punch resistance, that everything he took, he only got knocked down once in this fight only, you know, but, um, but basically everything that landed flush was having a visible effect on him and he didn't have, you know, his defense was not there, basically. He has this high guard, he moves his head a bit, but, um, but he had no answer. He got pushed on the back foot eventually, um, you know, like I say, like I think it's a sort of front foot counterpuncher, so he's coming in behind a jab, um, moving his head, waiting for, um, Bichelle to throw and just countering him hard every time and um, Bichelle had no answers um, it was a weird one because you know footwork wise Bichelle again like I said uh, with others he comes correct um, he had the position you know even though he was getting pushed back he wasn't being forced out of shape which is always it's always a good sign for some for a fighter you know if you're being pushed back you need to keep your shape and 
even though he was doing that, he still got basically overwhelmed. Um, and that's just, you know, it's a worrying time. And he's only 30, and that's why what makes me think, you know, was it just the size? Was it really only that he was... Um, he was a weight bully and now he's not now he can't be or you know is he suffering still from covid like i can't speak for the medical condition but it just didn't look it didn't look good um you know maybe i'm projecting myself onto him like maybe i shouldn't do that but uh but yeah it was a tad touch worrying it was good to see nakathila look good um you know one of the things um so one of my pet i don't know what to call it it's a pet hate i don't you know it's a Frustrations watching boxing is that African fighters um, find it difficult to prove themselves, get deserved shots, or when they do get deserved shots, um, they haven't had the level of competition because, uh, yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be, <clears throat> well, there isn't uh, really a very strong um, sort of African a path for African fighters to reach world level. Um, consistently, the main, the, mo the most common part seems to be the RBF rankings, which is, you know, um, I forgive the RBF rankings a lot because they do allow for fighters without promotional push to get their way up to the top. Um, this wasn't um, Nakathila didn't make his way up the IBF. He fought, I think, when he fought Stevenson. It was the um, which fight? Which was it? Um, the WBO. Um, I don't know where he's ranked now or who he's ranked with now um, but he had the similar you know it was, it was why everyone was like you know what happened with Steven or Stevenson he's fighting this guy who's a he's fought a few guys who aren't um, you know who aren't African but it's all guys like Zoltan Kovac out of uh, Hungary you know who who's he he hasn't fought since you know um, it's this kind of um there's no context for his fights so uh, there was no you know you couldn't really tell even if you'd seen them and sometimes they can be hard tracked down um you didn't know how good he was and now we sort of we saw him beat stevenson and now we've seen him beat bichelle we can sort of get a better idea that cathedral actually is quite good you know how good he was really is remains to be seen but um but yeah he's uh he's gonna be a tough out for most people in this division just because um He's going to be pushing you back, and then he's going to be countering you hard. You know, again, this is a one, three, five. Um, I think I talked to Bollocks. Yeah, no, this is one, three, five, and it's a, so it's a solid division um, at the top. What was I talking about, Dawn Smith earlier? I seem to have got myself confused. Uh, I can't remember what I'm saying. Anyway, this division is a tough one. It's going to be a tough one for like a feeler at the top. Um, but there are fights for him here. Yeah. You know, I don't, again, I don't know what the plans is, but yeah, this is one of the divisions where you've got your, you know, you've got Javante Davis is technically top, um, but you know, you've got Cambosos, Lopez, Lomachenko, Haney, Lemos is in this division. You know, it's a busy division. Uh, Lemos and like a feeler, that'll be fun. Let's do that. Um, you know, yeah, it's a very good division. Like a is going to be a factor in it, I hope. You know, I hope this performance has someone pick him up. I don't know if he's signed already to an American promoter, um, but I hope this one gets him the attention he deserves. Um, and yeah, um, for Michelle, 
it's like with Selby really it's the same division um, if you can't hang physically whatever the reason is you can't be fighting in this division it's too there's too many really tough opponents here that you're not going to be able to you know there are other divisions where you can look uh, off against you know the top level and still get yourself attention and possibly even a title shot by fighting picking the right fights and fighting your way up but this division is just too busy there's just too much going on you know like almost you know i've talked about all these fights this weekend um matthew hughes he's um he's in this division um lee selby uh yeah um, like adam adam azim and uh so yeah no i was right earlier with um No, I was wrong with Dalton Smith. It was Adam Azim who's on this uh, in this division, um, but yeah, there, there's just there's so many. Um, yeah, so no, it's Maxi who's I was talking about. So yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, basically what I'm saying here is um, I should stop uh, reading box work in the middle of recording. Um, it's too busy a division for Bishop to be okay. Like I'm not what I was, but I sort of scooch around and uh, do things here. Like it's it's not the division for that, so he has to be worried. Um, and Makathila, you know, that'll be fun to watch. And yeah, look, I'm not going to go. That's all I'm going to say about this fight because I just haven't got the time to talk much about that. But um, Nakathila, he's 32, so he's not a prospect. But, um, you know, keep your fingers crossed that he gets uh, the worthy fights from here on out. The last one I want to talk about is the other British card that happened on Saturday. I'm just going to talk about the one fight off it, um, Richard Riakpour. Um, again, I pronounced his name wrong in the intro. It's Richard Riakpour against um, Dion Juma. Um, just a little disclosure on this one. I don't know Dion Juma at all, but um, Taylor does. Um, you know, fellow fight site writer Taylor. He uh, he works with him in the gym. He knows, he knows him from the gym, so I did watch this fight a little bit with an eye to what could have Juma done otherwise, you know, what he should he be focusing on. So it's just a little, you know, little disclosure there. Um, while my, I was not, I wasn't completely impartial in this fight, I was watching it with a view for a specific fighter. You know, I don't think I'm going to be super biased or anything, but just so you know, um, yeah. This is an odd one because we're at Paul. He kind of had some hype in the UK. Now he's on these... Um, Sky, you know, he's kind of left um, now that Sky split from Matchroom. He's one sort of one of the guys who stayed with Sky. I think is he with Boxer? I'm not sure, but in any case, he's on Sky. Um, I think this fight was Sky. Was it Probellum? I should know this. No, I do know this because I watched the Sky broadcast um, when I watched it. When I did watch it, um, I watched it on Sky's YouTube. So yeah, it's a Sky fight. Um, and Rhett Paul has this odd situation where he sort of coming up the levels behind Lawrence Okoli and he gets kind of compared to Okoli he's kind of similar um, you know he's this big long lanky guy and he can his fights can be a grind and he does have big power and I will talk about the reasons why he's not similar to Okoli in a second but um, basically the upshot of that is is that he's kind of been circling a little bit almost like he's sort of stuck behind Okoli in the queue um, he fought for the British title years ago already. Um, he beat um, Jack Massey in 2019. 
Um, and he's already beat, he beat Crispin and Smith, although that was one where, um, no, he won that fight, um, that wasn't one of his combat knockouts, it was previously to that, that Rick Paul had been fighting, um, and he'd been losing fights on the cards, and then knocking his guys out, and he's improved as a fighter since then, but, uh, and he, you know, he's won a few points victories against William Smith and Jack Massey, um, but he did have sort of this reputation of being, you know, looking unimpressive and then winning. Um, Dion Juma is, uh, he's another sort of rising guy who's not that young. He's 32. He's been out for a while. Um, he came in into this 14-0. He fought earlier in the year. Um, he fought last month against Wilberforce. So I did watch this fight. In fact, I'd seen him then. Um, he fought against Shihipo last month. Um, but before that, he hadn't fought for two years. So I guess uh, the Shihipo fight was a sort of warm up for this. Um, now that I see it on the, you know, on the K on the thing, and uh, uh, yeah, this is a weird one because it wasn't for the British title, but uh, Reactpour has already fought for the British title. I'm not really sure why he still doesn't have it. Whereas uh, Juma beat Sam Hyde, who is also a common opponent. Um, he beat Sam Hyde for the English title in 2020 uh, and he sort of sh would have been thinking about moving up to British level um, and then he had time off, I'm not really sure why, but he had two years off and he didn't. So this was sort of, it wasn't for a British title but it was a British title level fight and uh, and the guy, you know, they will have been fighting with an eye to perhaps towards the British title itself, perhaps to moving up to European world level. Um, and yeah, it told us a lot about, well, it told us a fair bit about both. Um, but yeah, no, Riek Paul was back to his ways of uh, not looking that good and then winning. Um, but I will say in this one, I was more impressed than in back in those, you know, 2018 days. Um, he has had four years to develop. Um, and I think in this one, he basically, I think he realised early on that he was at a speed disadvantage. Um, and... Yeah, React Paul. I think the odd thing about React Paul is he's not fast, but he can uncork a quick shot every so often. And he's not super deep as a fighter. In fact, he's not deep at all as a fighter, but he's quite correct. Like, he does things the right way. Um, Dion Juma um, showed in this fight, um, in many ways, he's a deeper fighter. Um, he has much more of a you know, he was coming in, he was on the front foot a lot, um, but fainting, you know, he was, I think he was very wary of the power and length, and that counted maybe against him a little bit. Um, but he was sort of coming in on the front foot, but protecting himself. He was fainting a lot, like foot faints, um, proactive head movement. He was working the head, you know, he was working the body a lot, um, you know, going upstairs, downstairs. He's doing very well. Um, this was an orthodox of Southpaw matchup, uh, Dumas to Southpaw. He's doing very well to step around. We had Paul's lead and get shots home under his ribs. Yeah, under his elbows to his ribs. Yeah, he was basically doing a lot right, and every I think it was possible that he won every round that he wasn't knocked down in, or he was knocked down in the um, in the fourth, and then uh, he was KO'd in the eighth. Um, and I think it's possible to suggest that um, he won every round other than that. Like, I didn't sit down and go, okay, this is what I'm scoring it. But, um, but he was winning the fight. 
But I have to give Riappol credit because he essentially looks at the moment like a fighter where he has realised and accepted what his limitations are. Uh, that he's never going to be super layered. He reminds me a little bit of Deontay Wilder in this sense. Um, I'm going to do a little outside here because I've seen people compare Lawrence Coley um, again, or Coley Rapport, odd, you know, odd parallels. Coley's um, been compared to Wilder because he's this mechanically clunky guy who uh, relies a lot on this big, huge, looping right hand. Um, and I'll get that comparison. But Akoli is always trying to win around. That's one of the reasons why um, his fights get so grindy, is that he will rather turn a fight into a complete hot mess that's almost unwatchable um, than lose the round, than accept losing the round to set things up, um, possibly for later, which is what Wilder does. Um, but Wilder doesn't really care if he's losing the round. He is always looking for the big right hand to come home. And Rokepaw... He doesn't look, uh, you know, visually speaking, Okoli looks more like, you know, when you're watching Okoli fight and throwing these big awkward shots, um, you can't get the wider comparison. Okoli, like I say, um, he's not, you know, he's not a technical marvel, but um, he has more sort of correctness about what he's doing. He's not off balancing himself all the time. He used to, he's not anymore, um, but he's patient. Um, he doesn't mind. Like, he didn't really. He wasn't worried that uh, that um, Juma was winning the rounds because he, what he was doing was tucking up, letting Juma throw, looking for the mistakes and trying to counter them. He's basically turned himself into a neat, big counterpuncher. And that's what it seems to be at the moment. That's where he seems to be in development any, at the moment anyway. Um, uh, yeah, he's, um, he's sort of laying on the... Not laying on the ropes, but sort of letting Juma do his work and then countering him. And this is the um, flip side, is that uh, Juma was making, let's call them mechanical errors. Um, he was getting his feet wrong at times, not both of the shots um, that he got knocked down with. The, the fourth round one was to the head, the K was to the body, but both times he seemed to be caught with his feet um his feet wrong. His feet. He was quite static. Um, I think he had a problem in this fight, and I don't know if this is the case for every fight because he may have been overcompensating for the length. Um, but he was coming back really, really hard over his back foot, leaning too far back, and then sometimes completely straightening his lead leg, um, and that just left him completely mobile. But even when he wasn't doing that, he was too far back over his back foot, and he was his mobility was suffering. His ability to slip punches, you know, was suffering. If your base isn't right, you can't move your head properly. And there were a few times where he just got his balance wrong, and Riyadpour caught him, and uh, and that's what happened for both of the knockdowns. And Riyadpour was basically waiting for those moments, looking for those moments. I'm not even sure if he was trying to force those moments because, like I say, he was playing a reactive game. But um, but I think he knew they were coming, and um, he was aiming for them. And in that sense, it was a good, you know, it's all. It was a wise performance. It was not, you know, like I say, Rapport is not a technical marvel. He's 32, so it's not going to improve a huge amount. Um, whether he's ever going to be world level, I don't know. You know, I say he's waiting in line behind Lawrence Coley. Lawrence Coley's at world level now. Um, he's out sort of out of the conversation. Um, <clears throat> but there are fighters, you know, there are fights for Rapport in this division to sort of consider. Um, and yeah, he's, he's going to be dangerous, I think, 
a dangerous opponent for anyone, even though, you know, I don't think he's that good. Um, you know, like I say, it's not to call Marvel. His game's not deep. But um, and again, uh, against a back foot fighter, he may find himself in more trouble. But, uh, but anyone coming at him is going to find him dangerous. You know, anyone who um, who doesn't make React Paul come at them. Um, what he's like coming at his opponents, I am not entirely sure yet. Because, um, like I say, um, I did see him in the confines where he was on the front foot. But this was way back in the day and he looked much worse than he does now. Um, I said back in the day, it was 2018. So, yeah, no, he's... Um, yeah, if you're British, you'll see more of him. If you're not, he may never rise to the level where he's on your screens. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's an odd fighter. He can be in fun fights. Not all of his fights are fun. But he'll be... He's sort of a worthwhile... Name. You know, he's worth watching out for what he's doing. Um, and um, Dion Juma... Um, he is also, I think, 32. Um, I think I had that right. Let me just have a quick look. So he's also not, you know, there. This is another, an odd, another one of these, you know, slightly odd ones where both fighters are sort of upcomers, but both fighters are, yeah, he's also 32. Both fighters are sort of upcomers, rising up the divisions, but they're both 32, so they can't hang about. Um, so Juma, he has things that he can work on. He has, you know, I would say in a lot of ways he has more upside than Riappor because he does have a much bigger bag of tools. But he does have these mechanical problems. And it's not just a feat. Um, there are a few times I was a bit concerned about his... Um, the way he's sinking shots home. He didn't seem to have the power behind him that he should have. And that probably does come from the feet, to be fair. But, he, you know, he was landing these good shots under the ribs and all of that. But he didn't seem to be talking on them the way he needed to be to really hurt Riappor. And so, that you know, these little things to just add more snap. He doesn't have to do a lot to be to be a good enough level to beat Riappor. Um Whether he has the time to do it, I don't know. Um, you know, Taylor sort you know, get to work. Yeah, you know, see, talk to him in the gym, see what he can do. Okay? Um, but yeah, no, that is is it's a decent decently fun fight. It's not gonna you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say you have to go watch this fight, it's gonna rock your world, because it's not, but um you know, if you saw it, you weren't unentertained, um, even though most people didn't see it because we were all watching Josh Warrington, where we were entertained. But, you know. Anyway, so that's that for this week. Um, there isn't going to be a preview um, article for this week, partly because I've got family over, but partly because there's nothing happening. Um, for that same reason, there is also almost definitely not going to be a podcast next week. I may come up with something to talk about um, that isn't directly talking about the fights, because, you know, I'm allowed to do that. And maybe I want to. That will depend also on how I feel. So I'm not going to, you know, at this point I'm not going to make any promises about when things are going to come out because um, I have a week off this week, and I am, you know, we'll see how it how it goes. Um, you know, if you if you are listening to this and you enjoy this podcast, please be patient. I have to figure out where I'm standing at the moment. Um, but yeah, well, you you know, um, if you don't hear me from me next week, you will hear me from me the week after, you know, unless something goes badly wrong, because the week after starts this run of incredible, just week after week after week of fights all the way through, you know, some of them will fall apart. So maybe we won't have super weekends all the way through till June. But at the, at the moment I scheduled, you know, we've got skip week next week and then, uh, 
just fight after fight after fight from the beginning of April through to the end of June. Um, so this is going to be a good good time for a boxing fan. Um, so yeah, um, I will see you next time, whenever it happens to be, two weeks hopefully. Um, yeah, see you then. Um, I will. One thing I should say before I sign off. Uh, at the fight site, we do have a Patreon. Probably, if you're listening to this, you're aware. But if you're not, we have a Patreon um, where you get a little bit of exclusive content, which I will be looking to add in on. Um, at the moment, shout out to Dan Albert, who does incredible work for our patrons. Um, and, you know, everyone else who does a little... Um, we know we do. We have little exclusive commentaries and things like that. Um, we also have a Discord where you can, you know, jump in and uh, chat. Um, so for anyone who has somehow stumbled upon this podcast and isn't aware of the fight site um patreon and discord and all of that stuff it's you know it's worth a look um we do have sort of exclusives in there um dan albert does his historical class course um, some of them have been you know out on the timeline so have a look um you know to check through the check on the fight site thefightsite.com um and if you like those articles um, have a look at our patreon and see what see what else we've got um, and yeah, other than that, see you next time.